We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with... Hello, Robin Jones Gunn. Today, we have another one of the women that Cheryl has looked into that I've really been looking forward to hearing about. Yes. Go, Cheryl, go. Okay, I'm, I'm really excited because this is Florence Soper Booth, and she has much to do with the woman that we talked about previously, um, Josephine Butler. But Florence... Um, Oh, her testimony is so great. I just got to tell her story. So <laughs> Florence was born in 1861 in Wales, and her father was a doctor, a very well-to-do doctor, and had the unfortunate name of, as a man in Wales, Isabel. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was his first name. Isabel Hawker Soper. I mean, Isabel. Was that common? Um, very, no, because everyone unusual. makes mention of it. Like, okay. what an unusual yes, name. What's your mother thinking? Right. So she she went by Dr. Soper. She was the eldest child of her mother. Um, her mother's name was Jane. She also had a little sister, Evelyn, and a brother, Frederick. Now, when she was nine years old, her mother died, and her father sent her and her siblings to live with their aunts in London. So after her father remarried, they returned to live with him, and he set up a practice in Plymouth, which is kind of the south of England. Now, Florence hoped to someday become a doctor like her father. Now, remember, she's hearing that there are now doctors in America. You know, Elizabeth Blackwell. Elizabeth Blackwell and others. So this is her pursuit. She loves medicine. And also there's Florence Nightingale, who's this nurse right. and well-known. And she loves everything medicine. She's brilliant. She's smart. Uh, she loves this. So she... She was brought up in this home that was very into science and the anatomy. And her father kind of was indifferent towards Christianity. Like, we don't need that. You know, we don't need Christianity or any religion. However, after graduating from what we would in America consider high school, but they call it A-levels in England, um, she decided to visit her aunts in London. I mean, that's kind of what you do after you graduate and you're kind of deciding on the next course of your life. And while she was in London, she saw this advertisement for an event in which Catherine Booth, William Booth, the head of Salvation Army, was speaking. So she decided she wanted to go. There was something about the face and the sign that just compelled her. Again, she's irreligious. So she doesn't have any affinity with any church or, you know, with the Lord or the Bible or anything. So she's just going to go. And how old was she? She's probably about, oh, she's... 18 years old okay. at this time. So she goes and she's so moved by what she heard and what she saw. And she's just mesmerized by Catherine Booth. And they said that sometimes she would, Catherine would act out her speaking. She was so impassioned and she'd become these different characters. And so she's just mesmerized. And there is something so powerful when somebody believes what they're saying. They, It's true faith. And mm. she just... She was just like, wow, I, I want to hear her some more. So she kept going to the meetings and gave her life to um, Jesus. After a time, she saw another advertisement. And in this advertisement, Catherine was asking for someone who spoke French who to accompany her daughter, Kate, 
this is Catherine's daughter, Kate, to France for an evangelistic outreach. So Florence applied because she spoke fluent French and she was readily accepted. However, Florence's father had many objections, as you might imagine. imagine. So he's irreligious, and she wants to go with Salvation Army, which was considered so radical. You know, because they were conscripting, they were saving the prostitutes and the drunkards and bringing them into this army for Jesus. And he's like, I don't think so. Not my daughter. You know, I raised her up. She's a doctor's daughter to be respectable, to honor science, and, and not all of this. So he had lots of objections, and it took Catherine Booth herself to go and meet with him to quell his objections. So they came to this happy meeting place, and he said, okay, she can go, but she's not allowed to preach or take part in the service. So as long as she doesn't preach or take part in the service. So... Florence goes over and she's willing to do whatever is needed. So she wears a signboard that, you know, up and down the street advertising the meetings. She reads scriptures out loud or, you know, proclaims them as she's walking up and down. She does everything but be part of those meetings. She even (laughs) translates um, for um, Kate Booth. She does all of that. Well, Before she had ever gone to France, where she was going to all those meetings, she had met Bramwell Booth more than once, and they had struck up a conversation. And at one point, she had even straightened one of his buttons. It wasn't fully buttoned, and she just went up. She said she didn't even know what possessed her, but she went up, and she just buttoned um, one of his buttons on his Salvation Army jacket. You know, like, oh, no, that doesn't look right. And they were just talking. And so while she's in France, her Bramwell goes to his mother, Catherine, and says, I'm in love. I think I found the twin of my soul. And I don't know what to do. So Catherine was like, well, I think you need to go to France and tell her and talk to her. So Bramwell sails across the channel just to confess his feelings to Florence And he began, talk about romantic, with all the reasons she shouldn't marry him. And he says, look, I have no future. I'm never going to have money. I'm part of the Salvation Army. We get a lot of rejection. In fact, the Salvation Army would often, you know, have rotten uh, food thrown at it. And they were jeered and everything. Florence was taken back. She had no idea that Bramwell was even interested in her. She just thought, oh, you know, it's just so wonderful, our brothers and sisters. But she said this, he has seemed to me to be on a platform of holiness and service infinitely above me, like some angelic being. But in those few moments, he became human, a man who had suffered, who was lonely. And I felt that I could but help him. I knew I could die for him there and then. Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. So she comes back and her father's like, no, you're not going to get married (laughs) because at this time she's only 20. And he's like, he disapproved. And he thought she was too young. But again, Catherine Booth goes to talk to Dr. Soper. And with a little persuasion, he agrees to let his oldest daughter, Florence, get married to Bramwell Booth. So they decided to hold it at Congress Hall in Clapham Common. And they set the date for October 12th. 
And they invite anyone who wants to come to this wedding, but they charge one shilling a piece for every person who's coming. Well, that's different. Yes, and you'll you'll know why in just hmm. a second. So they have 6,000 people who attend this <laughs> wedding. 6,000 people. Well, there's a fundraiser. Isn't it? That was a successful fundraiser. Yes. And her father actually walked her down the aisle. So oh, good. He, he came full circle. Yes. But the reason, and this was the brainchild of William Booth, Bramwell's father, to charge a shilling because he wanted to purchase what was called the Eagle Tavern. So I need to tell you a little bit about the Eagle Tavern. So the Eagle Tavern was a notorious den of iniquity. It was built onto, um, it was built onto it, sorry, was the Grecian Theater And there were rowdy and raucous plays performed there, sometimes like just defiling. And they had billards. There were always brawls. You could go see fights between men that would just almost kill each other. And they even had rides. But the problem with that is it was an amusement park for adults, so to speak. Mm. It, It was a place where people were getting drunk. So William Booth had visited there. On numerous occasions, he would kind of go and spy out the land in these places. And he determined, as he was going through it and seeing the Grecian theater, this would make the best place for the Salvation Army. We could we could bring so many people in to hear the gospel in this Grecian hall, and we could turn this thing around. So he had disguised himself and gone to the auction because this place, they couldn't afford it. It had gone up for auction. So all these people were bidding on it. So he went in and he bid and he won it for 17,000 pounds, about that price, 17,000 pounds. He won the bid. And part of the money that they raised at this wedding went to pay for it. Now, what they did then and what they still have in England is something called a lease hold. So you actually don't own the property. You own the buildings on the property for a certain amount of years. Mm-hmm. And so with that 17000 he got uh, approximately a 20-year lease on this property. Well, you can imagine how upset the patrons were of this place. And um, especially when the Salvation Army began to clean it up and take possession but previously, have you ever heard the, the pop goes the weasel? Yes, of course. Well, actually, the way it went was in and out the tavern. Um, in and out the tavern goes uh, goes the man. And it, it was... I'm humming it in my head. Yeah, and pop goes the weasel. In other words, what the, the rhyme was actually made about the Eagle Tavern and how men would go in there with their paycheck. And come out without any money. Mm. They would have spent it all and they mm. would go home with nothing to feed their children mm. or their wives and they'd be drunk. And so that was Pop Goes the Weasel. You've lost all your money That's because of the Eagle Tavern. And William Booth had seen that as not only a den of iniquity, but it was enslaving these men and impoverishing these men and these whole families in London. And the Booths were really acquainted with the suffering of humanity. And they they knew that the only answer to the suffering of humanity was the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. and a heart transformation. Amen. And so 
that's what they they sought to do is to save people. And after the people were saved, then they could help them. And they gave them that identity. I mean, if you were a prostitute, now you're wearing this starched suit, uh, identifying with the army of Jesus Christ as clean mm. and pure. It meant so much to those who got saved to come and be part of the army, the Salvation Army. You know what the building reminds me of is when your mom had prayed on what was the building on 17th Street? And she always would. Yes, there was a bar. <laughs> yeah, a bar. topless bar. Right. Yes. And she would pray for its destruction. That's right. Lord, curse that place. Every time we come by it every Sunday night <laughs> and every Thursday night, because those were the nights we we're coming home from church and we drive by. It was right near a market called Market Basket. And she'd be like, Lord, curse that place every time. Lord, curse that place. You know, because Sunday night and Thursday night, seeing patrons leaving it. And one Sunday night, we were driving by and had the fire engines everywhere. It burned to the ground. And she's like, take a look at that. Take a look at that. Like, and we're like, okay, please only pray good things for me. But that's but claiming that pattern. territory. That's and right. Let it be repurposed for right. good things. So at the first meeting, the new location, 10,000 people showed up to participate and be a part of it and hear the message. However, the former patrons were so upset that 3,000 showed up to demonstrate outside. Um, they were really upset because it was not serving alcoholic beverages anymore. That This really upset them. And so they sought to sue um, William Booth because his license stated that alcoholic beverages would be sold. And I can't remember. He ended up winning the lawsuit because he found a way around that prohibition. And I think he even kept some alcohol there, but he just didn't serve it. <laughs> and so that he it could. It puts in mind the communion wine is in storage in the back under lock and that's key. Right, that's we right. do have alcohol in there the presence. <laughs> there you go. So interestingly enough, it was located on Shepherdess Street. And it seems only fitting that the Salvation Army should have occupied it. But um, again, they lost their lease after. You know, the time was up. I've got the rhyme here. Up and down the city road, in and out the eagle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's like tragic, but that's how notorious it was. Um, it went back to being, you know, the Grecian Theater and the Eagle Tavern. And then they tore them both down and they were rebuilt sometime in the early um, 1900s. And the Eagle Tavern is still there. On that is that property. Right? Mm-hmm. So, a few months after Florence married the chief of staff William, she was promoted, of course, to Captain Florence. She was already Captain Florence when she married him. She found as she was doing his laundry, she found the button that she had touched on their first meeting, oh. and it was wrapped in tissue oh. and in his pocket. Oh, oh. <laughs> is that so sweet? So sweet. He had treasured it. From the day that she had buttoned it and straightened it. So Florence wrote to her sister after a marriage, I feel I have found a rock and I only want now to learn how to help him and not be an only child. So Bramwell worked long hours for the mission, but Florence was proud of him. I mean, there was no time clock. There was no time that anything was over. She also was grieved over the wretched conditions in London. She especially felt for the poor harlots there. 
another woman, Mrs. Cottrell, who worked with the Army, opened her home to these young women who had come to London for work but were lured into prostitution, Mm. which reminds me of the Amy Simple McPherson story Mm -hmm. that we talked, that these young girls were coming from all over the States to become actresses. And when they couldn't find work, um, they were conscripted into prostitution by the man who had been the DA of L.A. I mean, bad, bad stuff. And so um, the need had become so overwhelming that the Army decided they needed a ministry and a home for these young women. So they said, who can do this? And they said, Florence can. And somebody said, but she's only 20. And this is what they described her as. She was young, she was delicate, and she was very refined. But her remarkable powers of grasp and administration were only developing at this time. She was typical of the well-educated, rather shrinking and self-conscious girl of the English professional classes, perhaps the last person in the world to whom anyone would have thought of committing so hazardous and dreadful a business as the rescuing of fallen women. But she was moved by her husband's appeal, and in spite of some doubt on William Booth's part, she was appointed to take charge of the Salvation Army's first rescue home, and she would oversee that home and other homes just like it and the ministry of these homes for the next 28 years of her life. And she opened many, many homes for destitute young women, some of them pregnant. In 1883, she was often seen roaming the streets of London with Catherine, her eldest daughter, who was under a year old, in her arms, looking for wayward women to invite to the homes. And often she was pelted with rotten vegetables and yelled Mm. at. But when this would happen, she said, God is going to make this work a blessing and the devil is stirred up in opposition. She's like, oh, I'm getting to him. I'm getting to him. Florence gave birth, get this, to five daughters and two sons. Um, Catherine, Mary, Florence, Olive, Emma, Bernard, and William Wycliffe. Isn't that oh, so cute. Yes, her youngest. And it's the the thing that you and I both found in this research is how confusing it is when every family has a daughter named after the mother and right. a son named after that's the right. father. And, and that's what you've got. Look Catherine at their after birth the grandmother. Yep. Right. Yep. There we go. I know. So she told William, you know, when she came back, she told him about the deplorable conditions of child prostitution, and Bromwell thought she was exaggerating until he went to the streets himself. And this is when she worked with Josephine Butler and William um, Thomas Steed of the Pall Mall Gazette to eradicate child prostitution. Amazing. So it's Florence in, um, working with with um, William Steed and Josephine Butler, yeah. um, documenting it, you know, doing their private investigation. She gave um, – and she, she made many of the connections for William – state to um, talk and interview, you know, put it into the paper. So Florence not only oversaw the work of these homes um, and her own home, she also um, taught women to sew and she sewed her children's clothes and she educated the first for herself. However, she received an aunt, uh, sorry, she received an inheritance from one of her aunts who passed away. 
And she and William were able to hire a governess for their three youngest children, which included the two boys. So I think that was a wise move (laughs) so that Florence could serve in the ministry as well. So Florence often spoke for the British Women's Temperance Association. And in May of 1905, a London newspaper said that Florence's speech was the speech of the evening. And here's a quote from it. What will it avail our children if at great national cost they learnt facts about the world around them, while at the same time we are legalizing and encouraging every facility for converting them presently into a drunken, drinking, and besotted people? No system of education could succeed until the drink question has been dealt with. So she said, look, if you educate them, if they get a great job, but they turn to alcohol Mm -hmm. and they're spending all their check at the Eagle Tavern or these other places, what good does that do for society or for anyone else or, you know, for any of these children growing up? So, And what a unique preparation God had put in place in her life where— Her father as a doctor, so she knows physical results uh, right. and being right. involved with what was going on with the the Eagle Tavern and seeing the devastation it did to families. She was in the right, she was the right person to give that message. That's right. Also, at the same time, in those days, and, and we're talking 1905, right? Up to 1905, the 1800s to 1905. The pubs were filled with married women and their children. These married women would take their children into the pubs. And many of the women dosed their children with gin to keep them quiet so they could drink and carouse and, you know, socialize in these pubs. Florence was responsible for helping to get a law enacted in Parliament that prohibited anyone under 14 years of age from going into a pub. See, I think that people, you know, they're like, oh, temperance mm. is terrible. You know, um, you're taking our liberty away. Yes. And I, I hear yes. Christians even saying that and looking with such disdain at the temperance movement, not realizing, um, this is before Alcoholics Anonymous, that these men were becoming alcoholics, mm-hmm. that they were going home and abusing their wives and children. The mothers were getting drunk. They were spending all the money on alcohol mm-hmm. and they were... Because of that, their hygiene was terrible. They weren't taking care of their children. The children were on the streets raising themselves and had no no food, no food to eat. You know, that's, you know, kind of a little bit about what you see with Finnegan and Oliver. Remember, Mm -hmm. he's getting all the children that just on the streets and he's gathering them together. So Florence inaugurated also meetings to gather these mothers. She's like, now that you're not going to the pubs. Meet with me. Mm. And she began to train them. And she created a comprehensive program with a Christian emphasis that provided um, education in family living. So she taught them basic, um, like, uh, hygiene for how to clean a wound, how to bandage someone, um, um, how to treat chicken pox or measles, uh, just basic things. She also taught them how to cook and to sew and to take care of babies. And do you know that ministry continues today is the home league. And she would say, a happy home is the surest safeguard against all evil. And where a home is not happy, the devil enters and generally finds his hands full. So 
They were also all the women were encouraged set up a family altar in your in your home, just a place where the kids could go and pray, kind of a quiet room, yes. uh, a prayer room, and you know put the Bible there and just have this kind of oasis little, in yeah, every home haven, so they can have that sacred spot. Exactly. So Bramwell took over for his father as the head of Salvation Army when his father passed away in August of 1912. So already Florence had assumed much of Catherine's ministry um, because Catherine had died in 1890. And it's so interesting because in the Salvation Army, they never say someone died. They always say when they were promoted to glory. Of course. Because, you know, everything in the Salvation Army was about promotion. So when they were promoted to glory. So in 1915, Florence started an organization that was like the Girl Scouts, um, but to teach life-saving skills to young girls. And these would be like teenagers. But some people objected that the organization, um, because it included athletic pursuits. (laughs) So they went hiking. They went walking. She taught them to run, how to exercise. Um, She felt that this was so important for these young girls, the fresh air and the exercise. At the beginning, she had 120 girls, so she made eight different divisions. In 1921, she started a new Juniors Girls League called the Sunbeams for ages 8 to 9, recreation being part of it, as well as learning skills, just basic skills and hygiene. And don't you love that name, the Sunbeams? The Sunbeams, I love that name. (laughs) In 1929, on the anniversary of his parents' marriage, Bramwell died, surrounded by his family. He was 73. Florence went into semi-retirement for the next 28 years, and she died on June 10th, 1957, within three days of the Home League Jubilee Conference. So 50 years of celebration. And she was 93 years old. Wow. And they said about her that she was clear-thinking, calm, and the opposite of her husband, However, she was able to see in him, uh, to give him a different perspective. They were never heard arguing by any of their seven children. So that's that is, right that's there. the story of Florence. Oh, Florence. I know. What a and beautiful life. 93, 93 years, years old, old. Yeah. well lived. Right. And, you know, with the sunbeams and the, <laughs> the, the home league and um, all these, you know, she realized, like, if we're taking them out of the bars, we've got to give these kids mm-hmm. alternatives. If we're taking the women out of the bars, we've got to give them alternatives. You can't just say, don't go there. Exactly. You've got to give them a place to go and to congregate, you know, the young girls to congregate. You know, meanwhile, William Booth is working with the the young men, but she's, her focus was on the women, which I just think she Beautiful. was just tremendous, yeah. you know. Using what she taught, her background in medicine and all she was, just giving it to the Lord. And this is how he blessed her. And I'm so glad that she, even without her father's approval, perhaps, that she went to that first meeting. That's right. That she was drawn to go and that the Lord took her from there on an amazing, amazing journey. I don't think she ever, ever. Um, at that first meeting when she gave her life to Jesus, ever expected that she would one day be doing what Catherine Booth was doing. You know how intimidating um, it would be, especially to see somebody who's speaking so boldly for the gospel um, and is being rejected and, you know, heckled at the same time. I mean, that's like, it's not like, hey, let me sign up for that position. And yet you see how God started her, um, you know, just working with the Salvation Army, 
going to France and, you know, marrying Bramwell and her boldness begins to grow with with each step of faith and each ministry that she takes over. I mean, again, she was totally unsuited at 20 years old to take over this ministry of these homes for wayward women. And yet 28 years, she ran that ministry and it was precision and it was blessed. You know, just incredible. And again, yes. the Salvation Army, um, we still have the Salvation Army with us today. And in England, there are charity shops, which are thrift stores, right. that are Salvation Army. I always try to visit those. And in Harrogate, um, which is in England, it's considered one of the most beautiful cities in the world, on a certain portion of downtown, the Salvation Army petitioned and they put in the scripture um, like bronzes in the pavement so that people really? will see the word of God. It's just absolutely oh. beautiful. Makes you want to go to Harrogate. Yes. 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 And and walk in the truth and the light. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we want to thank you again for joining us on another um, edition of Women Worth Knowing. But again, too, we want to hear your comments. We want to hear your suggestions. And we also would love you to submit somebody worth knowing, maybe a mom, an aunt, somebody who was an influence in your life. We would love that. We want to know and make these women known. Exactly. We look forward to the next time we get to share with you about another woman worth knowing. That's right. And so we'll sign off for today. That's right. With our hearts pretty full at the That's moment. Right. That's this right. This is Robin Jones Gunn. And, and Cheryl Broderson. Until next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Gunn. For more information about Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about Robin, visit robingun.com, that's gun with two N's, or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn.